0: The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts, For the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, and the music album Home. Today we're going to share the experience of Rhonda from enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Rhonda says, I awoke around 5 a.m. after falling asleep in my lounge chair the night before, very unusual. I got up and let my dog out. I became very aware that something was very wrong, although I was feeling no pain. As I headed for the bathroom, I picked up my phone and carried it in with me, something that I never do. Almost immediately after entering the bathroom, I knew that I was going to lose consciousness, and with only great effort was I able to dial 911. Within two to three minutes, a policeman was in the bathroom with me, followed by firemen and paramedics. At that point, they started trying to get my vital signs, which they reported as being unable to obtain either a blood pressure or a heart rate. I was still in my body and drifting in and out of consciousness, and did not consider myself dead. They moved me from my bathroom onto a stretcher and into the ambulance for the twenty-minute trip to the hospital. As they loaded me into the ambulance, I asked for ice water and was told they had none. So then I asked for water, and again they told me that they had none. I told them that if I could not have water, I was going to die and I proceeded to die. My initial response was of blackness, and then I re-emerged, and the ambulance was filled with a bright light. Light so bright that it should have hurt your eyes, but instead I could see very clearly. The paramedics were working furiously on my body, and one of them was yelling, Randy, stay with us. Randy. I thought it was funny that He thought my name was Randy, when my name is Rhonda, but I also thought it was perfectly okay for him to call me whatever he wanted. They were working so hard, yet I was at total peace without pain, floating safe, comfortable, and joyous. The sensation that I was feeling at that time goes beyond words. Then I became aware of a voice that told me that it was not my time, that I had things to do which were not completed, but that I would have the choice of dying or returning to my life. At that point, it was as if my abilities to experience time were accelerated, and together with this voice, which I did not recognize, nor could I even say if it was a man, a woman, human, or God, was with me as we reviewed my life. Then together, we began to look at the things left undone. I was able to see that others who depended on me would be okay. In the background, I could hear and see the paramedics working on my body. They were working so hard and not getting any results. They were screaming that they could not get a heart rate or blood pressure, or that I had not responded to the medications that they had put into my body. I felt badly that they were so upset when I was in such a wonderful state of being, which I did not think that I wanted to leave. And then they hit me with the paddles again, and I moved back into the world of the living with all of its pain. But I wanted so to return to the serenity of the other place. I was moved from the ambulance to the emergency room, and then directly into surgery. I was aware of conversations going on around me, doctor yelling at technician because my knee was elevated. At some point in the surgery, doctor told them to administer more morphine. And then I went into a state of unconsciousness and woke in the coronary care unit with my surgeon sitting at my bedside. He said, you don't know me. And I interrupted him and said, yes, I do and proceeded to tell him who he was and what had happened. He was obviously stunned, and I could tell him that I could tell him about the emergency room and surgery when he thought it would not be possible. That is the end of Rhonda's account. So hers is a classic out-of-body experience, but um, there was one little point that I thought interesting to draw attention to. While in a moment of life review with a voice that she could not identify, um, she says that that while she was able to see that others who depended on her would be okay, the point that kind of stands out, she says, then together we began to look at the things left undone. Now, I don't know if this is quite what she's referring to, the kinds of things that she's referring to, but if you study the uh, the literature of studies of people who are on their deathbed and, and the kinds of regrets that they have, it's very seldom that they will have regrets of things they have done. They will have some. You know, I should have been kinder to my children, or, or I should have, you know... Um, been kinder in in this particular situation or something, you know, wish I had made up with my son or whatever, you know, there'll be some of those kinds of things. But by vast majority, the things that uh, people regret the most are things left undone, things that they wish they had done that they never did or never let themselves do. Maybe they felt like they didn't have the money to to do the things that really meant the most to them, or perhaps they just didn't take the time, or felt like they didn't have the time, but wished they had somehow made the time to do certain things. Now, every person, it's going to be different what they feel like they should do. I'm, And I am not inclined to suspect this as referring to a bucket list of sorts. It it may if somebody's bucket list is really deeply meaningful to them, or if there are items on the bucket list that are deeply meaningful. But, you know, I don't think this is saying, oh, I never got to see Italy, or I never, you know, traveled the world like I always thought it would be fun to do. It's usually things left undone, um, such as, I wish I had given myself permission to be happy. I wish I had tried to do the artistic, creative work that I've always felt inclined to do, or I wish I had had moved out to the country where I always wanted to be, or, you know, things that may not be life-altering in their, you know, just strict, by by the strict words, life-altering, but to the individual, they would have meant the world. And often they are things that they long to do all their life go back to school or, you know, um, have children. Things that genuinely do make a huge difference to a life, and yet, in the world's eyes, are fairly common. Sometimes things left undone are those kinds of things. Which kind of makes sense, because if we as spirits are determined to learn and grow as much as possible, and to experience as much as possible, then as we're preparing to leave this life, it's probably going to be the things that we didn't do that will stand out as regrets. The things that we wish we had done, that we had taken the time to do. And as one who has done many things, at least in attempts to uh, create a career around various (laughs) things that I've done, I can attest that it doesn't take much to do all the things that you feel like are so hard to get around to doing. Let's just use the example of writing a book. If you've always wanted to write a book, for example, it could be a novel, whatever. If you felt drawn to do that, It sounds like such a big project, so unreachably big a thing to do, with so little time that you have, that it's easy to just put it off and say, someday, someday, someday. And I recall the words of my grandma, who was an incredible writer and wrote throughout her life, but she always wanted to do more with her writing, and she always felt like she wasn't giving it quite what it deserved so to speak she felt like like she wanted to do more of it and you know she had 10 kids so if anybody's busy and doesn't have time it's someone with 10 kids and she didn't regret that one bit she was more mother and more grandmother than ever she was a writer and a better one at that but uh she did say once after she was finally retired and the uh, children were moved out she finally had some time on her hands she's talking to her husband and she says you know now that i finally have the time to live my dreams i no longer have the energy and though she did some of her greatest writing after uh retirement and i think she I think it's fair to say that she absolutely did fulfill that dream of writing. It was much harder when the situation was better to do it. Does that make sense? So she was waiting for, and she wasn't waiting, waiting, but she was hoping that opportunity would come, hoping it would come. And when it did, which was retirement, kids have moved out, She's physically spent and she doesn't have the energy to give it all that she wants to give it or that she's always felt to give it and always tried to give it. She didn't have the energy anymore. The point is, don't put off what you know you're here to do or that you feel drawn to do. If if it takes, you know, some months of preparation or whatever, that's fine. But give yourself a date and say, I will do it by this time. Or I will start the process by this date. Because if you don't, that date will, that non-date, will forever be in an unfulfillable future. And one day, you will no longer have the energy to do what you feel compelled to do. And that is a tragedy that many experience don't let yourself be one of those tragedies. Okay, let's read another one. This is Rusty from penderf.org. Rusty says, I was in a black space on a black nothing. It was kind of like a path because it was lined with small lights close to ankle height that outlined a path. As I proceeded down this path, not really walking, but skipping from light to light, I would look into the small lights and see significant happenings in my life. I saw my birth, a few other things that are vague to me, and then I saw my enlistment into the army, my marriage, and the birth of each of my daughters. I was not present at the birth of my first daughter because of military issues, but I saw it starting from a position to the right-hand side of my wife, about waist area, elevated approximately seven to eight feet. The feelings that I had while proceeding down this path were ones of accomplishment. Each light was like a level or stage in my life that I had completed or conquered. Many of the lights were small events that I cannot decipher if I recall them from this memory or from my cognitive memory. I reached the end of the path and in front of me was a large light entrance. It was a light that wasn't really giving off light. This is where I have a hard time putting into words my memory to accurately describe what I was seeing or felt. I stepped into the light with no hesitation when I got to it. The same light instantly surrounded me. At this time, I felt nothing physically. Actually, now that I'm writing this, I didn't have any physical feelings during the whole thing. Everything was emotional, thought-related. I wasn't floating or standing or lying. I was just there, surrounded by this light. At this time, I had an overwhelming feeling of completion, like I had accomplished some great feat or game. I was feeling or thinking, you did it. You won. You beat the game. Then I remembered my daughter's birth that I saw for the first time just moments ago, I felt the joy, sense of accomplishment, and realization of a task unfinished and experiences that were still available to me. I had the feeling that I don't want it to be over. I don't want this to be the end. I want to experience more. Then it was all gone. The light, the path, everything. I woke up three days later. I say woke up because I was awake off and on, but I was being given medication, and every time I went to sleep and woke up, I could have forgotten everything that had happened to me each time. From the time I was intubated at work shortly after the incident to the time I was taken off the medication three days later, the only thing I was able to remember was the path and light. That is the end of Rusty's account. And um, he actually describes in the question and answer uh, section that the reason he was having this experience is from severe trauma to his esophagus, um, a puncture to his throat. I'm, I won't go into detail into details about that. Um, sometimes the medical stuff um, is a little... You know, kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> but uh, as far as the account itself of the near-death experience is concerned, I find this one very interesting because what a unique description of the tunnel and path and darkness. I mean, the black space and black nothing, he says, that's clearly the void. And he says it's like a path because it was lined with small lights close to ankle height that outlined a path. So I'm picturing this, he's in complete blackness, but there's these little sparks of light um, every, I don't know, a few feet or something that uh, that outline a path. And he's skipping, not really walking, he says, but skipping from light to light, so jump, jump, jumping to each light. And as he jumps to each light, he would see significant happenings from his life. This is an interesting way Um, for somebody to experience a life review. It's as if he's moving forward through this tunnel, and with each light, with each moment of memory from his life, he is moving forward, which kind of makes sense because he describes it as if each light was like a level or stage in his life that he had completed or conquered. And though he can't, Looking back on it now, can't remember all the instances that he came across. He does remember um, jumping from light to light and and feeling a sense of accomplishment at having done those individual things. And there were things that, like he says, he wasn't even present for his firstborn daughter's birth. He was not able to be there because of military. He he was in the military and was not allowed to be there but he was able to see it and this sense of accomplishment was really deep and meaningful to him and i'm left to think what an interesting way of looking at life is you know we talk a lot about fulfilling a purpose or having um this sense of accomplishment at what you've done with your life but he describes it almost as if he says it was a great game a great feat or game he's you did it, you beat. You won, you beat the game. And it's as if each of these major incidents in his life, and he doesn't say whether he saw them in order or not, I don't know. Or if they he had any choice in the matter of what particular memories he saw, I don't know. But he does describe them as stages of life that he is completing or conquering. It's as if he's walking up steps or or climbing through his life um, to the next level, so to speak. And then he gets far enough into this that he feels as though he's beat the game. So take a moment just to picture this and try to uh, get a sense of what he might have been feeling. Obviously, we can't feel the extent of it, but think about your own life and think about the things that you've accomplished, not just the um, obvious accomplishment, you know, uh, the graduate from high school, you know, got married, did this, you know, and uh, unless those things are deeply meaningful and not just the event, but think about the things in terms of the moments where the change occurred. So think about, for example, if if you feel like Graduate from graduation from high school was a real accomplishment for you. And for many people, it's really not. But for others, it really is. Okay? If that's one of them for you, take a moment to think about the moment where things changed. From, is this going to work? Am I going to make it? To, I think I'm going to make it. I've got this in the bag now. So the moments where maybe a teacher gave you a little more leeway, or the time that you spent all night working on that report that was going to make the difference for the grade that would uh, pull you through. I'm not suggesting necessarily that those moments, those turning points, were the accomplishments. But I think sometimes they can be the, uh, the catalyst to the accomplishments, So if you, for example, had a child, as Rusty describes having, was it the moment of the child's birth that was the real accomplishment? Or was it the moment that you and your wife decided, you know what, I feel like it's time? Or was it the moment that you were finally in a situation where you were either financially or physically in a place where you could have children. And and now we can move forward with this. And while the birth of the child may be the culmination of the accomplishment, perhaps the accomplishment was at some earlier state or earlier situation where things really were hard or really were frightening, where you were really put to the test. Because in those moments, when it's hardest to tell what the future is going to hold, when it's hardest to have hope, when it's hardest to hold to the plan, the goal, and yet you do, or you pull through, or you make it work anyway, could it be that those are the moments that are the gr- greater accomplishment? And then considering what other people have described in near-death experiences as, and, and in life reviews, as the moments of real, deep meaning, what were the events that led up to that? What were the things that made that accomplishment real? Let's just take the example and I've used this example dozens of times, and I apologize if if you're tired of hearing about it. But the young man that uh, in his death he sees as a child, when he's supposed to carry some water, a bucket of water, um, to his home or to the car, I, I can't remember what exactly... It seems like it might have been to the car for some cooling, you know, coolant or something. Anyway, um, he's supposed to take a bucket of water. And as he's carrying it along, he realizes there's much more than he needs. And it's splashing all over himself and so forth. So he needs to release something. He's about to dump it out, dump a little bit out. And he sees this little poor, decrepit little tree that is struggling um, to survive in a very dry spot. And he just takes the extra steps over to dump his water at the base of the tree instead of just, you know, further off or it's just going to dry up or whatever. And so he's doing this act of, of kindness towards the tree. And then, you know, after dumping a little bit of the water out to make it able to carry and so forth, he continues on his way and forgets about the whole thing. And in his life review, he is he is watching this incident again and the angels or or spirits light beings around him celebrate that moment more than just about anything else in his life it was an act of pure unselfish love now this doesn't mean that he was gushing with love for this tree at the moment he wasn't he wasn't feeling an intense sensation of any kind but the act itself was purely out of concern for the tree he needed to dump out some water he could have just dumped it out there was no reason to do any you know to worry about it at all but when he lays eyes on this tree sees a need that he can meet He may have even stopped to say, should I just dump it here, or where should I dump it? Looked around, saw the tree, probably thought, oh, well, the tree would like it, and walked over there, dumped it, and then moved on. And it was applauded as the greatest act of love, possibly the greatest act of uh, uh, of love of his entire life up to that point. Now, I suspect he was probably pretty young, still had much to experience when he returned which would give him many opportunities to have experiences of pure love. But what is it that led up to that moment where he is glancing around, sees the tree? And when he sees that tree, that's when the choice takes place. That's when the rubber hits the road, if you will. That's the point at which all of the love he has built up in his life comes to bear because it is in an insignificant situation, seemingly insignificant situation. That is why the test is so big. We think of the idea of a gun at your head being asked, do you believe in God? Or, or you know, will you protect your family at the risk of your own life in that moment when a gun is pointed at your head? And we think of that as being the great moment where you find out who you are. And it could be that you find out in your mortal life whether you can do that thing or not. It may be that that's the point that later in life, assuming you survive this situation, where you can look back and say, that's when I knew. But that is not necessarily the greatest moment. Because the greatest moment in, you know, an act of love, I should say, that this young man had, or at least one of his greatest moments, was when he saw the tree and without even giving it a lot of thought, without even having to say to his head, this is the moment, this is where, what it all comes down to, it's obvious when, when you're in that kind of a situation. But in that moment where it, it is so insignificant, that's when the real accomplishment took place. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Because I think this is important. It's in the thought... I don't want to say thoughtless in terms of... Uh, of, you know, an unkind act and so forth. But in the times where it is not given a second thought, and we're acting without giving a second thought, and the action is an act of love, that is when the real accomplishments probably are, for a lot of us at least. And I can't help wonder if these stages of life reach their culmination at these moments that we in this life do not even recognize. There's something that I'm supposed to learn now. I need to overcome my fear of standing up for what I believe. And it comes in a situation where, you know, maybe there's some guys picking on somebody and say, hey guys, uh, why don't you just leave them alone? they're like, (laughs) and then they walk off not a significant situation, maybe increased heartbeat for a bit, done, you kind of forget about it. Or if if you don't, you kind of think, well, you know, I'm glad that didn't escalate into something more because I don't know if I could have done it. It could be that that was the moment that that level was conquered, that you've reached the culmination of that stage in your life. So it's interesting to think about in terms of how we're living today and how we've lived in the past. You know, the older I get, the more interesting I find it looking back on my life. I, I've i always been a little bit of a sentimental individual and love looking back on things. Even as a kid, you know, I'd be like, We'd be sitting around me and my siblings or friends or whatever and, and just be like, oh, remember remember that time that we did this? That was so cool. Or remember this camping trip and I can't wait till we can do it again because it's so cool. You know, there's this moment, these moments of sentimental, you know, wistful memory and so forth. Um, but the, mo- the older I get, the more those seem to compact into life segments that have independent significance and i don't know if that is just because my memory is is you know has to file away a lot of stuff into you know some kind of organization in order to be able to remember, remember things and i more and more am losing memories because people remind me of things and i'll be like Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know. And there are things that I'd remembered all my life up until a few years ago, you know, or whatever. But I'm left to wonder if if part of that memory uh, gathering and organizing is a little bit of preparation for that life review. That is, that those stages of life that they're culminating in, obviously, partly in when we learned the lesson, but even more so when without thought those lessons were put to the test. Anyway, I find that interesting. So, if you would like to reach out to me, you can email me, Chaz that's C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org. You can email john, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can also support the podcast by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or my album, Home, both of which are available at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, where you can click store in the menu. You can also go to patreon.com slash NDE podcast and become an ongoing monthly contributor. And with that, you guys, thank you so much for listening.